Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode, we have Lauren Hello. and James. Hi. Chewing on scorpions to kill pain. Determining which country you're from using the germs inside your mouth figuring out how mice learn languages and applying that to humans, as well as that latest scent ringtone for your mobile phone. Looking at how trees can pass along gold through their leaves. We're being green and gold this week as our city of science. Of course, Australian Synchrotron is our location, is our city of science, which is located in the city or the Council of Monash in Victoria, Australia. And we're talking about them because researchers are from the Australian Synchrotron have been doing some fantastic stuff involving gold in eucalyptus leaves, which is perfectly for green and gold or the Australian colours. So we're talking about that as our city of science this week. So we all know the old saying that money grows on trees. Well, turns out this might actually be truer than we thought, as some researchers from CSIRO have found that, funnily enough, some certain eucalyptus leaves, which is a fairly ubiquitous Australian plant, actually have roots that go so deep that they bring gold up from hidden deposits beneath the ground. This gold actually comes up into the leaves and is deposited in them. So, when these leaves were sampled at the Australian Synchrotron, they were found to contain a whole lot of gold in them. So much like all those famous um, gold, gold diggers out in the gold rushes in the 1850s, turns out they could have just been picking leaves. Yeah, and it's really interesting because like, this is an, an, an amazing discovery because they're looking at the leaves themselves using the advanced equipment, the Australian Synchrotron, to do basically really high-detail X-ray imaging. And this is really interesting science and technology applications. But when they were doing this, they were finding all these heavy elements inside the leaves, and they're going, this doesn't make any sense. It turns out that it's actually the gold that's being sucked up from them. And it's, it's, you know, okay, we're not talking large amounts here. We're talking like the one-fifth the diameter of a human hair. So this doesn't mean if I'm making my home amongst the gum trees with all the plum trees that I'm not going to be covered in gold leaf and be able to get really rich? No, unfortunately, this is probably not enough volume to actually increase your wealth materially anyway. The interesting part is that the roots that they're actually going down to such a, a deep level and uh, basically uh, mineralizing into the, to the, to the gold deposits, it works not just on gold, but on any other type of heavy metal that is down there. So other, other, other metals that are buried beneath the surface, um, like zinc or copper, will come up in the same way. So the roots, when the roots are sucking up water out of the ground, it basically fractures and, and, and breaks down the rock and sucks it up, sucks up the, the particles that are inside it, whether that be gold, zinc, iron, metal, or anything else. So this means it's really interesting. Um, basically, these are hydraulically fracturing almost, which is fracking, if you've heard about it. But this is what these plants are kind of doing. They're sucking out the things, but they're doing it unintentionally. In their quest for water, they're just so happy to be becoming deep sea miners, which is really cool. Now, what this means is that you can actually use the trees as an indicator for what's underneath the surface. So instead of prospecting using laser technologies and deep sea scanning or drilling, you can actually test the trees to see if there's any, or the leaves in the trees, to see if there's any trace elements of heavy metals. Which is a really a, a, a much more environmentally friendly way of uh, testing or exploring uh, for mineral deposits than obviously drilling it and uh, making a large impact on the earth. So, 
makes you look twice at some of these trees that are across, spread across our beautiful countryside and think about what they're really uh, interacting with deep beneath the surface. Justin, I reckon I'm a pretty hardcore person. Did you know I'm so hardcore that I can actually eat a scorpion and feel no pain? Really? You can, yeah. you can eat scorpions and feel no pain? That, that's pretty impressive because they have a pretty powerful sting that you know scorpion stings can like cause in humans really severe sharp throbbing pains i may have been exaggerating a little bit okay so when i if i tried having if i got injected by scorpion venom i would end up feeling pain however someone who doesn't feel pain in response to scorpion venom is actually the grasshopper mouse so what are, the, what are these grasshopper mice doing to prevent them from feeling pain from the scorpion sting? So the grasshopper mice are actually changing this venom. Instead of um, getting hurt from it, it's actually having an analgesic effect, which is protecting them from pain, other types of painful stimulus. And the reason for this is the, um, the venom is coming and blocking so, um, certain sodium channels which means that they no, they no longer feel pain from other things. So that these channels are actually passing the signals of pain from the extremities to the central nervous system. And normally, instead of going through one of these sodium channels, it's coming through a different one, and that is being blocked off or inhibited. So it means that it's actually then functioning as an analgesic. So when the scorpion venom is detected, it blocks off... The channels themselves close down, and it blocks off the signal. It's really interesting to think about using the same techniques to apply it to humans and actually making a new analgesic for us. But scientists themselves aren't quite sure why this is happening in exact detail yet. So Lauren, what have they determined? What they've determined is the presence of a certain um, glutamic acid being present in the mice is actually what causes this change in um, the how the venom acts on the mice. This venom... This venom. This acid isn't actually present in um, humans or most other animals, which could be why we... We can't eat scorpions. <laughs> we can't eat scorpions. Interestingly enough, though, um, this acid is actually present in naked mole rats. And although we haven't seen them eating any scorpions, maybe they might have a bit of analgesic effect from it too. Yeah, so it's really interesting to see the potential um, things we can learn from the animal kingdom. So what we learn from this... Um, mice eating the scorpions is that if they have the venom together with glutamic acid then their pain signals along this certain sodium channel just shut down and act as an analgesic so that would enable us to if we adapted to humans made sure we had this acid present we'd be able to make a new analgesic or we could come up with a better way to activate the blocking of the signals on this channel which is a really interesting thing that a lot of researchers are looking at, particularly researchers from the University of Sydney, Sydney's, who are interested in the same study, um, but the main work for this has come out of the Michigan State University of the United States. This would be really good for a country like Australia, which we have a lot of different venomous animals around that could put, um, potentially hurt us, so having a new method of pain relief would be really good. The big important difference here is that the venom itself is only causing pain, it's not a poisonous venom. So, obviously, if you have a poisonous venom that's hurting you, making like killing you, it doesn't matter if you don't feel pain or not, you're going to die. This is not an antidote. It's actually just stopping the, the pain from the venom itself. It's like a sting as opposed to a poison. And this is a really, really interesting research and shows what we can learn from the animal kingdom.
Now, Justin, my ethnic background is probably a little bit different from yours. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a northern slash southern Italian mix, which means I've got everything from Spain, Italy, France, Germany, Austria, uh, Algerian, Spanish, Greek, all mixed in there amongst it. I bet without you actually telling me that, I could figure out what your ethnic background was. How? Through the power of bacteria. Specifically the bacteria in your mouth. Wait, what are, you, what are you doing with my mouth? Why are you opening up my mouth to determine who I am? That's weird. Lauren, what kind of weird science are you undertaking here? Well, it turns out, um, well, it turns out some research done by the Ohio, Ohio State University um, using 100 different participants have figured out those have different types of bacteria living in their mouths. That, that's really weird. So what they did was they examined different racial backgrounds of people, the participants, and found different species were thriving in their mouths. And there was some alignment to the different ethnic backgrounds. So there were like 398 different species of bacteria living under the gums of the participants they were looking at. Um, My question is, is this based off of basically what type of food they were eating? I mean... If you were eating, for example, more Chinese food, would you have a specific type of bacteria in your mouth? And that really, that would be the logical conclusion when you think about it, because we think about our mouths, and the main thing coming in and out of our mouths is food, right? So we, we obviously, there must be some connection to our mouths and the bacteria living in them. But what this study has actually found is that it's not really that clear cut. Now, they did DNA sequencing on the participants, and they, they found that there was only really 2% of the species of overlap between the different ethnic breakdowns. And when they started examining the DNA signatures of the bacteria, they found that they could actually predict which, what the type of bacteria that a person would have in their mouth based on their ethnicity with about a 62% accuracy, um, which is a pretty good on average, uh, average result. Now, obviously, as Lauren was saying before, you'd think that there would be a connection to the types of food that they're eating, much in which the same way they might have a different uh, things like gingivitis or periodontis, which are you know, mouth-related things. But the study has found that there isn't actually that kind of, that kind of correlation between them because they actually started to examine the, the conditions... Of, of these communities and they found that just because a person's of a certain ethnicity doesn't mean that the same environment or the same food that they're eating uh, is the same moreover they actually controlled for different types of foods and environments and what they found is that it didn't make a difference because the people still had um, bacteria in their mouths that broke down based on ethnicity and based on the genes which make up that ethnicity and what it the study was suggesting was that the Genes in themselves that these different ethnicities have promote the growth of different bacteria. So one set of bacteria is adapted to a certain gene set. That's why it's really prevalent there. And this is independent of the food that the people are eating in question. So this is just like local non-harmful bacteria, right? I mean, this isn't specifically like diseases or anything? That's right. Like We all have large amounts of bacteria present in our guts and our mouths and all over us. And they are adapted to our bodies and to our genes. And that's not really that surprising then, that 
the bacteria itself in our mouths is actually adapted not to the food that we eat, but the environment that it lives in, the mouth itself. And so it really, in this case, it suggests the genes that make up who you are is more important to actually growing this bacteria than any type of uh, food or environmental conditions that you might be involved in. So in this case, nature actually trumps nurture in promoting the bacteria growing in your mouth. And it's a really interesting way to test and understand the uh, impact of the genes that we all carry. Justin, we live in a wide world with a whole bunch of people and you know, really boring little smartphones that have programmed in little ringtones and things. And This is not enough. I refuse to be one of the herd. I want to be an individual. Okay, so how are you going to express creatively your identity and who you are? I don't want a ringtone. I don't want a flashing light. What I want is a certain smell to go off to let me know that I have a text message. That would be a certain way to get your attention. That would be innocuous, I guess, and certainly wouldn't interrupt anyone, provided... That's what the smell is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, so, so what exactly is going on here, Lauren? Well, it turns out that a Japanese tech brand called Senti luckily enough, actually has a product that you can attach to your smartphone. And what happens is that this um, accessory fits into um, your headphone socket for your smartphone and it releases a nice little scent every time you get a text message. So you can configure this using an app to basically respond with certain scents based on incoming signals or text messages or whatever. So what kind of scents are available, Lauren? We We have available a whole bunch of things such as rose, mint, curry, jasmine... Um, apples, strawberries, coconut, and even fried corn soup fruit is available at KFC in Japan from earlier this year. Oh man, there's even a limited edition Korean barbecue edition with two different meat scents and baked potato, and apparently they're working on bacon, which I'm sure will please all of the Americans. So it's really funny because it's like it's it's like a little plug-in module that you could just have on top of your phone. Like one of those radio transmitters it almost looks like. It looks really nice as well. It isn't like some massive like case, but just a little thing that you plug in at the side. It can actually be um, hooked up so that it can release sense if you're playing games and things as well, so it's not just text messages. And that, that's, really, that's really entertaining. Um, but each module, model itself can only uh, deliver about 100 bursts per capsule that you put in. So obviously it has a little bit of, it's not unlimited, you actually need to redo it and you can get refills to, to put that in. Now, this raises an interesting question. We have a lot of different things for doing scent and a lot of people for years have been working on smell-o-vision or other kind of smell-based uh, interfaces and they're not really fantastic because you need these modules to actually release the scent. And if you want to do more than one scent, you have to do a whole bunch of different modules. So you basically have to have a big data bank of things. You can have a cabinet full of different scents that get squirted out at you depending on different stimuli. So it's not really practical to smell everything like you would to replicate completely a scenario. But a single scent for notification is really easy to do. The bigger question is then what are, the, I guess, the impacts of this? We've talked about before how scent is great for associative learning. And it can be really beneficial if you start to associate a smell and a taste with doing a certain action. It can help build a memory and uh, basically code you to learn better in those circumstances. 
Now, if you applied something like this, it would probably also give you, you means that if you started receiving text messages from, say, your friend, you would start associating, for example, the smell of mint with your friend. So that when you were seeing your friend, you would start smelling mint or thinking about mint, which would be a really, really nuanced and interesting kind of result of using something like Perhaps this. Perhaps not so convenient if it was bacon. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> if you started thinking... Receiving bacon, then you'd have a Pavlovian response to it. Obviously, if you love bacon that much, to have your ringtone be bacon, um, which means that whenever someone called you and your phone answered, or you met someone or spoke to someone, you'd think of bacon and you'd start salivating. Which I guess would be a really other interesting side effect of it. What'd be really cool was um, if, for example, it was bacon, then you come downstairs and someone's cooking bacon in the morning, and you start going, "Oh crap, I've got a text message. No, wait." Someone's actually cooking bacon. And you mean you wouldn't be able to eat bacon without thinking about your phone, which I guess would probably ruin bacon for you. There's a double-edged sword here. Best to pick a unique scent, but not a scent that is going to ruin your life by tainting the scent forever for you. But the fact that you can change it is pretty good, but you are still only limited to one scent. So until we can find a way to actually stimulate scent in more efficient than literally spraying it at us, um, we're going to have to come up with something better. But this is a great bit of little uh, creative adaption of technology uh, coming out of Japan. What, what would happen if you could have, say, slightly more exotic scents, like, I don't know, burnt electronics? <laughs> well, I mean, it'd be harder to actually isolate the sensor. The reason why they've stuck with mostly food, fragrances, um, herbs, is because you can actually atomize them and make them into a scent really easily. Burnt electronics is not a scent that we can reproduce terribly easily because we can't break it down into particles we can atomize and then put into a mist. Yeah, you could have an effect, presumably, if this is essentially squirting mists. Mm. You can make your phone send off signal messages if you had those mists replaced with, say, atomized um, ions of metals. You could actually have a little firework effect there. One person called it would squirt the red flame, the blue flame, the green flame. Well, that obviously gets into a bit more of a physical danger perspective. I guess you could... Your pocket will be set on fire in different colours depending on who's calling you. That's right, but you could do it with metals. Metals you could certainly atomise, and certain metals do have smells. You could certainly do it with other chemicals that are stronger. Uh, Aromatic. aromatic Yeah, petrol, fumes, all that kind of stuff. They're very aromatic, very have a large fumes and smells, but they're not smells that you want to have, and they're probably also some health impacts of continually sniffing them whenever your phone goes off. I'm now wondering about um, health impacts from possibly, like, the chemicals constantly spraying out of your pocket, if you're lucky enough to get multiple text messages. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be too bad if they're actual natural things, because they're things that your body would be used to. The bigger problem is actually acclimatisation. If you're constantly, you know, you receive 100 text messages a day, right, you go through a capsule of scent, you're, you won't be able to smell that anymore because you effectively your receptors will just get used to constantly smelling something. Once you have a smell constantly present in your environment, you just tune it out, like you tune out background noise. So that would also be very damaging because then you wouldn't know your phone's going off. So it would mean you would constantly have to change your scent, which I guess works well for the company that's made these. Uh, I just thought of something. What about when you have a cold and you suddenly can't smell anymore? Well, then you'd have to rely on the vibration, the sound, and every other notification technology your phone can use. But the whole point of this is the scent, is the personalization. Well, you just, it's a bridge you're going to have to help them overcome, Laura. I definitely know what I'm getting for Christmas, though. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. So we talked about some crazy applications of interesting science, determining who you are by looking at the germs in your mouth, having mobile phones that use sense to trigger different meanings, developing analgesics from scorpions, and looking at gold leaves, literally. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.